thank you for joining us today on Evergrowth Mastermind. This episode is September 2020. The power of stories in our lives. What will we explore? What stories are running your life? Are these helping or hindering your progress? And are you willing to write your future? We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Kick things off. Um, so today's topic is uh, fiction, the power of stories in our lives. And, you know, this is a topic that came up uh, for me. And it's something that uh, Mr. Baum, you know, you should be familiar with, with uh, the Sapien series. Um, you'll know Harari talking about, you know, how things are stories, right? And the things we place value in culture, society, it all comes from stories that we keep alive in essence. And, you know, the idea of stories is very integral to our lives, the way our memory works. And, you know, stories are kind of everything with us and how we learn, uh, pass things from generation to generation. So, you know, that'll be a very interesting topic to kind of look at and explore in a, a different way. So the key talking points we'll be walking through today are what are stories running through, running your life? So, um, you know, the things you're thinking about, the way you're looking at the world and how it's actually a story that you're pulling from. And then we get into, are they helping or hindering you? So from those stories that you're kind of living by, you know, are they leading you in a good direction, bad direction, or, you know, could be a bit of both depending on the, the stories that you're running with. And, um, the last point is kind of, are you willing to write your future? And uh, as I mentioned in the, the group chat was, you know, are you taking the steps or thinking through your actions so that you're writing your story or is somebody else writing your tale for you and you're just going through the motions? And a quote that kind of helped uh, tie this talk together that I found, which was really nice is, if history were taught in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. And, you know, if I think back to like middle school, high school, even, you know, history was a very drab course and needlessly so I would say in some ways, because through historical fictions or the way some cultures teach through mythology and such, you know, it's a very powerful lasting message uh, the grim fairy tales, right? Those are lessons that we were taught as uh, kids, you know, in a, in a way to remember that, you know, you do something wrong, you're probably going to be in trouble. So, you know, be smart as a kid. But anyways, so, um, yeah, so to kick things off, um, you know, what stories are running your life? And um, if you don't mind starting us off today, Mr. Baum, I would appreciate uh, you kicking things off um i know what stories have always driven my life um son of immigrants uh the great quotation marks american dream uh, where i fit into this society and being a jewish male the story that i was an outsider and all of these things tended to contribute to the way that I integrated into this society. Mm. Um, but as I'm getting older, um, 
I'm finding that that story no longer works for me. And I've come to the point of my life now that I'm getting close to 70, where the mm. story that's worked for me in the past no longer fits who I am. It's taking away from my um, enjoyment of my life. And, very interesting. Uh, perhaps we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. yeah. So perhaps I was the one you should have asked last. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, um, it's you know uh, a good thing to to call out that you know you you're recognizing that that story has been running a certain way and it's not working for you. So that's I think very enlightening and something that I don't think a lot of us appreciate that you know um, we we can't be rigid in that concept because uh, over time you, you're realizing it's not serving you and a lot of people tend to not account that they think that they're given a story or they have to live a story as you said you had a certain story that because of um, your upbringing and you know um, if it's not working for you now that that there's no reason why you can't change it. so yeah I very much appreciate that answer um Mr. Dotson, uh, so, you know, um, what, what do stories look like in your life right now and how they're kind of running things for you? I think this topic is so interesting because I think with a little bit of self-awareness, um, you sit back and self-awareness, a little bit of reflection, I think we all can find countless of stories or paradigms or perspectives which can turn into stories or that are running our behaviors every day, you know, from the moment we get up to the moment we lay down at night and then everything in between. Um, so, you know, from, from what you asked me before, I, I can definitely go down that vein. Um, but I'm also thinking about, you know, some stories that I tell, you know, things that I tell myself every day. You know, some of the things that's, uh, you know, some of the words that Mr. Bond just talked about, he said some key words in there that, that I identify with and have had to consciously and, 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 you know, with, with a great deal of effort for a very long time, I've had to, um, say, fight or struggle with, I would say, to at least get me to this point in my life, of which I'm very thankful, you know, to have that aware. I thank God, you know, that that, that awareness is brought to me. And, and that, but, but the stories that, that, um, that I've been thinking about lately, or at least trying to work out and continue to flesh out, and uh, I think you said it well as uh, better than I that better than I can probably say it. Omer is is that lately, um, man, you may or may not know I've been working on a uh, I've been building a company, a technology company, for relationships you know, for the past couple of years, and uh, really just trying to to do two things. One is change my personal story with my relationship with my wife and and those who I'm close to, and uh, and also change or help change the stories. Uh, that couples have in their relationships as well, you know, with the goal of uh, producing or, or creating a better society, especially with couples and making that more the focus instead of money, business, you know, enterprise and things like that. And you know, helping people understand that, you know, out of when, when your relationships are right, uh, that's when you're truly happy. And there's a ton of research, you know, that, that supports that. But, uh, I would, I mean, it'd be awesome to, to kind of tell you, I'll, I'll let every man kind of go through and maybe do exactly what Mr. Bond did and kind of sow a little bit of a seed and maybe come back and explain a little bit more. But 
that's that is where my headspace is and and, and it's a I'm gonna call it a struggle. I'd say it's a challenge every day because I could become very hypocritical in my approach to life as I'm trying to share different insights and wisdom um, to people, you know, in my circle, outside my circle as I'm growing, as I'm growing this business. So I'm a complete there and uh, and then circle back if that's okay. Yeah, for sure. And the the way these talks unfold is much more organic and we try and you know kind of weave together things as insights come out and you know something you mentioned specifically about relationships and whether that's with a partner or friends and family you know in some way we're we're in a novel and it's not just our novel right so there's supporting people in our lives that uh, you know work to help or hinder us over time and we also have to kind of navigate the things we're telling ourselves in relation to them and you know, this is where, again, we'll get more towards the end as far as like whether you're in control of, you know, some of those narratives is mm-hmm. the line can get pretty muddled over time. And, you know, there's even just certain ways that society's story has built that we're running some of these things in our lives that we don't sometimes even second guess because, you know, brushing your teeth, you're not going to think twice about that because, you know, it's good. And, but, you know, toothpaste is that you know, <laughs> the the right thing. And when you learn about the history of a product and you see how much consumerism has been changing our stories and the messages that we tell each other over time that, you know, the myths versus wives tale and these things start to come up and, and getting to relationship, it, it's another factor that, um, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot at play when we have to think about, you know, what we do every day and the things that we're uh, running through our minds that, often run on autopilot. So, um, Mr. Anderson, I'd love to hear a bit from you and uh, what uh, the stories are like running your life right now. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's not going to get any lighter with me, man. It's, <laughs> you know, like uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> like Mr. Dyson and Mr. Bond said, you know, yeah, I've, I've been doing a program called Soul Retrieval. And, and so it's exactly what I'm doing is looking at the stories that run my life. And, you know, it's incredible. You know, I got a six-year-old story um, where I had to to give my seat up. My mother and I had to give our seats up to a white lady when I was about six years old on the bus in Kentucky. And I'm just realizing how much that story still runs my life and how I have this attitude of never again. I'm never giving my seat up again. You know, I earned this seat. This is my seat, which has served me to succeed in business and and achieve things, but doesn't serve me necessarily in relationships, uh, especially personal relationships. So are, you know, when I need to have my ego in check and it gets engaged because I feel like my seat is threatened, you know, and uh, I've got a nine-year-old story when my dad was, you know, killed and, and um, you know, if he's not here, who's going to teach me how to be a man? This whole story up until I was 27, that was my story is my dad's not here. I don't know how to be a man. So I would sabotage my success because I don't know how to be a man, you know, which was a ridiculous story. It's a nine-year-old story. So, um, yeah, just like, um, like Dodson and Baum said, it's, you know, stories are the, like the foundation for who we're going to be, how we're going to show up. And so now my, my mission is to 
rewrite my stories in a powerful way, and not just for myself. I got a 12-year-old son, and he's writing his story. And part of his story, he's getting from me. <laughs> so I'm really aware now that, you know, uh, I'm not just authoring my story. I'm, I'm helping him author his. And that's, you know, if you're honest with yourself, that's really the way it is in all your relationships. You know, I'm impacting people all around me, whether it's in business with leadership or friendship, relationship, whatever it is. So just trying to be more aware of uh, the stories that empower me and the ones that just don't work anymore. And I uh, just got to let them go. But they're tricking me. They hide. You know, they're deep in the subconscious. And yeah, uh, yeah so just, just finding them and getting them out and coming up with something more powerful that, um, that's going to serve me. So that's, that's where stories are for me right now. Yeah, and you raised something uh, important as well that because you have uh, a son, right? And your stories directly impact how he's going to shape his life and his stories that he's creating. So how you, you know, pose your lessons and the way you are with him directly impacts his, you know, uh, success and his direction in life. And, you know, I know you strive yeah, we, uh, yeah. to teach him good lessons in that and just... It's a responsibility that, you know, you're, you have to be extremely conscious of what you're doing almost at all times so that you're not, you know, you're not swearing your head off in front of him and, you know, uh, being belligerent in front of people, even, you know, the giving up your seat mentioned, like, that's just as relevant now as ever. And, you know, you have to keep, you know, drawing that line with him to make sure that he's protected and and can look after himself, right? Yeah, and it's not even just, it's not like the stories I tell him. I, I tell him a lot of stories, and he's like, yeah, Dad, I heard that story before. <laughs> he's, he's 12, you don't want to hear the stories. But I'm telling him a story with the way I live. And so I've got this story that uh, we, you know, since he was a little kid, we stop at the stop light, and we wait until it turns green, and then we walk across the road. And there's one particular road near our house where there's no danger, really. You can just walk across. People often do. But we stand there and we wait. And this is what I was teaching him, you know, from the time he was four or five to be safe. Now he's 12. We still stop and we wait. Other people walk through, but that's not our way. We're not going to be influenced by other people. And this is interesting. When he's not with me, I found myself wanting to walk through. And I, I caught myself and I stand and I wait because it's not just the words that I'm giving him. It's like how I'm actually living my life that he's really, really getting. And so it's interesting for me to stand there, grown man on this little bitty street, people walking across the, the light, just standing there um, because that's who I told my son I was. And just because he's not watching me, you know, am I, am I telling him the truth or am I being a hypocrite? So I stand there and wait. That's, that's the story I want him to have. Be true to yourself. Yeah. It's like the, the power of a good act is when you don't tell anyone, right? You know, if you go out and do some good and you're not advertising it, it's not on social media, you're not taking pictures and you just do it and leave it and don't expect any recognition. The power of that over seeking the attention around it is, you know, it's like stopping at a, a light instead of just crossing because you could but 
Yeah, that's powerful. Thank you, man. Uh, Mr. Borgantz, we get some insights on what stories are running your life right now. So. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm listening to you, man. It's, it's so powerful. Like I, I can relate to this. I think starting with Dr. Baum, like I just I'm, I can relate. I think the big portion of my story is like uh, it's just I think when you go in childhood, you just you create the narrative like which made you who you are. Right. So I think you kind of go back like where I grew up, what I went through, like what I experienced. And this is just becomes like this part of this big, big, big story, which makes you the man you are today. Right. So it's like something you tell yourself, like while you're brushing your teeth, while you're taking the shower, while you're just the, taking the walk or might be working. <laughs> just uh, it's basically it never stops. And the crazy part of the story, I think internally, you, you never stop the story. Right. And um, as, you know, like already man mentioned, like, I think it's your story affecting somebody else's story. That's crazy because like the way you build yourself is just almost like you, you build your surroundings based on who you are. Like, which again, like you're looking deeper, it's the story you told yourself, like I'm this man and like, that's what I, that's what I deserve. That's people I want to have in my life. This is like uh, the principles I'm following. And, and that just kind of like, you know, affects not just like your life, but other people, because you either draw people in or just you, you kind of, you get away from all like, you know, other people because this internal story, because I'm X, whatever. Right. So like either associate yourself with certain groups or with certain religion or whatever. And for, my, for myself, like I definitely, I've been looking forward to this topic because it's, I recognize it. I read enough books and did lots of seminars and trainings to kind of catch myself like talking about, Oh, like, Oh, this is a narrative I'm telling myself. Right. So, and it, and it's, it sounds super easy, but it's so difficult because on a daily basis, I continue doing it. Right. So like, I'm despite all those learnings, I'm like, Oh, like God, like just catching myself like unconsciously telling myself something which is not true. Like even again, like, shall I walk? Shall I wake up? Shall I brush my teeth? Right. So it's actually, it could be like almost conversation internally, <laughs> like where you have two, two parts, which are going to be discussing and saying, Oh no, man, I'm too tired. And another one would say, no, but like, this is really good to do this. Right. So, and this constant negotiation sometimes I think for myself leads me in, in lots of stressful situations. Like, you know, in the business, there are certain things where I find the story is not even narrative. It's just something like, which I think you grab back in your childhood and you also carry like, I deserve this, right? So, or whether I deserve to have success, for me, it was the big portion, like where for many, many years, like I think going through lots of struggle, I just, I think deep inside, I have mentioned myself that I don't deserve certain things, right? So, and it was really, yeah, that's why I'm getting this shit over and over again, because I deserve this. It's like, you know, I'm not sure if you man read the story. Uh, what's the book? Um, Everything is fucked, right? So Mark Manson, when he was talking about like, you know, yeah. um, the story, the story where girl me, uh, a boy meets the girl and, you know, they have a relationship and then girls, girl, um, sorry, and boy breaks up with a girl and girl just coming up with stories that either I'm shit or all the boys are shit, right? So like, <laughs> and that basically... Um, gets her to the next relationship where she she's who's a nice boy and who's really awesome, and she already learned from the previous relationship so that all the boys are shit. That's why, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> like you know, drives all this relationship to a completely different 
uh, rude and uh, she basically she leaves him in the shitty circumstances which leaves the boy with the story like i'm a shit or all the girls yeah. are shit right so like and and it's crazy because that that specific book gave me like you know just kind of refreshment on like how many different things in my life i used like in similar similar reaction right so like the stories which i created back in time where it's like today like grown up man like i tell myself oh no like i cannot do it because deep subconsciously i think like you know this is not supposed to be or i'm not deserve that and it might be the opposite it might be oh i think i deserve this because of that and it's really difficult um, because i feel it's also like kind of more you learn more you just kind of getting confused and for myself like i i have moments where i think um through the business or like day-to-day living and just like certain things happen and you just interpret them in, in your own way and i keep forgetting to um to keep in mind that other people they have their own stories of like the same probably situation which just happened but i tell myself like different narrative and when i meet those people like i think recently what i started doing just like kind of sitting down and just really confirming it's like do you have the same experience or what what actually how would you describe this the situation because before i would just jump in conclusion and have my own narrative and story playing in the background and saying okay this person is like bad and i'm good all the opposite and i think this again this narrative which we constantly have it's really i think if you master anything in life this is like i think one of the the most powerful tools which can help you to build a good family good career yourself strong mind especially in the times we live in um through covid like where everybody's like i guess sitting in one one like one space with their spouses and families just like either go crazy um or they they get closer right so i think yeah that's how i would describe like what's what's the stories i'm living by yeah and you brought up something uh, important i want to touch on too is about uh, other people's narratives and uh, the reason the word fiction is in the title of this talk is trying to understand that most of what we think and remember is fiction. So if you try and remember <laughs> something that happened to you as a kid, it's not really what happened to you as a kid because it's colored with age, with feeling, and the feeling is really what drives the memory into your subconscious so you can bring it back. But um, I even heard a recent thing... Uh, uh, some doctors talking about uh, that we're actually recreating that instance when we think about it. Like it's like some kind of like just passive thing. And then we think about it and that feeling emotion recreates it. And like each time we keep recreating it, it gets a little more colored and a little more different. So, you know, the, the thing we have to realize is a lot of what we deal with is fiction, you know, but, that's not to say there isn't truth or facts, you know, that exist. Like uh, one example I love saying is about like gravity. doesn't matter where you believe that or not, you fall on your face, it's going to freaking hurt. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, then so in terms of other people's narratives, uh, you know, what's true for you might not be true for them. And in, you know, the, the Trump era of uh, the world and COVID and the, the toilet paper, you know, wear a mask, not wear a mask, all these competing narratives people have, you know, it's really hard for, 
some people, once they start adopting certain understanding of things and certain stories, to start to say, okay, maybe that one's wrong. I have to pull it back and, uh, you know, kind of uh, reevaluate things. Um, but before, that's leading into point number two, uh, Cornell, I'd love to get uh, some insight on you, brother, and what stories are looking like uh, running your life. Story. Well, society's kind of creating a bunch of the stories. Um, but to Steve's thing where, you know, he's walking across the street and he's on his own and he catches himself and he does the right thing. Well, for me, that's just the definition of integrity, right? You, you're, you're doing the right thing even when nobody's around. And that's where, you, you know, you figure out how you find your authentic self. So just want to be authentic at all times. Again, my, my line is always just judge me for who I am, not for who I pretend to be. Hence, Instagram. <laughs> Don't see any pictures. Of you <laughs> Anyways. Um, society, yeah, society is creating some stories right now that are really uh, kind of affecting my life, be it uh, COVID, be it uh, Trumpism and all that kind of stuff. I mean, through Trump comes these, the four years that he's been around screaming his uh, rhetoric, hence your fiction, the powers of stories in our lives. His rhetoric is all fiction. It's all made up in his own head. And it's created protests. How, how does this affect me all the way up here? Well, you know what? Quite frankly, all the shit this man talks and gets away with seems to have bled into society all throughout North America and for, uh, quite frankly, throughout the world. I see it in my own day-to-day -day at work whereby people are trying to change the narrative of events that have actually happened. And I mean, like, for me, it's like, there's the email, there are the words that you said, I'm quoting your words. And you're like, no, I didn't say that. 10 years ago, people wouldn't say that. But in the world of Trump, people That's are crazy. trying to change stories, right? I'm sitting here watching this and, and people at the highest levels, executives in, in the businesses are changing stories right in front of me. And, and uh, you know, I purposefully write notes down. I mean, we're having this conversation and I'm writing notes, you know what I mean? So like I purposefully write these things down so that I can make sure to document the situation that's occurring. And uh, yeah, in this world that Trump has created, it's affected the entire world where everybody's talking about fake news and all this kind of stuff. Anyways, the protests, my daughter's in the middle of protests. You know, when they were doing the protests uh, down, down at Queens Park and all that kind of stuff. A friend of mine's son was, was uh, you know, police were called on him because he was playing with a gun, a, a Nerf gun. And now, as a result, there's events uh, that are coming out that I've been in, asked to to go up and perform at and stuff like that. And it's not just that one event. I've been asked to do a couple, uh, you know, DJing. I went and I put together a mix uh, called Little Ghetto Boy, which is a Donny Hathaway record that talks about the life that's around him. So I built this mix around that. And that came about because of all these uh, protests uh, revolving around racism and equality and all this kind of stuff. So challenging morals and conspiracies and all this nonsense. And, and you can see as, as it's happening at the highest levels of government south of us, it's actually affecting everybody around us. Um, uh, the stories, um, clearly, you know, the COVID story and what my role is at work to do all the investigations, listening to the um, situation where people turn around and say the thing is fake, but you know, 
we've lost X amount of money, we've lost X amount of people um, and so forth. So I, I don't understand that. And then while, while you guys were talking, I think it was while LaVance was talking, I pulled these out. Those are also stories that are running my life. Uh, helps me with uh, relationships and all that kind of stuff. So, can you know, can you read the titles? What is it? The Four Agreements, The Alchemist, and the Five Love Languages for Men. <laughs> the men. Man, edition. I haven't seen that one. The men's edition. Man, huh? Yeah, the men's. Okay, edition. I'm gonna have to get that one. Oh, trust me. Let me tell you, Levent, you want something for you and your wife? Read that thing. No joke. That book is fantastic. Uh, I came across a little bit too late. But it helps with uh, future stuff. I wish I knew about it earlier. So um, the fictional stories that I guess are, are out there is uh, there was a movie called Mo Better Blues. Uh, greatly affected my life because I used to uh, play five instruments and I got away from it. And then when I tried to get back into it, you can't play the same way. Same thing with DJing. You know, I was playing for many years and. Focusing on my relationship, I fell away for a bit. Now I came back to the scene, uh, you know, this year, last year, uh, and so forth. And, you know, a lot of folks are like, who are you? Um, mm. Meanwhile, you know, back in my heyday, you're, you're one of the top names in the city. And now you're like, who are you again? And uh, it's <laughs> kind of interesting to see how that narrative is, is playing out. And then, of course, um, you know, the pain that... Uh, he went through as he uh, struggled his way back into the music industry. So it was, it was very interesting. Uh, and, and it did affect my life to, to give me a little bit more uh, determination to always just be authentic. So that's it for me. Yeah. Cornel, what are you talking about with Trump? Like it, people can tell lies and it influences other people's truths. That's the thing that's, fascinated me about Trump. It's always been this way, you know, there's always been um, powers that be that have through media and through everything else have used story, not fact, but you've used story to influence, you know, the masses really. And, but now it's really interesting watching this man just lie to our faces and how it's actually turning into reality for so many people. It's, it's, it's crazy. Like it's, it's hard to distinguish between what's true and what's lie. Cause the man has to tell some truths. You just don't well, know which ones are true, which ones aren't, right? And surround it with nonsense. Now the fact is, um, it's not just a matter of Trump. It's from, and the reason why I say that is, is, is it spreads. So you take a look at a guy like Lindsey Graham, who had all these morals and ethics that he followed for, uh, you know, the Clinton era and the things that he used to stand up for and push for. And he was, you know, a big supporter of John McCain and all this type of stuff. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, Trump comes around and all of that went out the window. So yeah. for me, what that is, is where I'm telling you to be authentic. It's the integrity side of things. I can't believe a word you have to say. I've never believed anything Trump has to say. So I trust what Trump is going to say is bullshit. I trust that. I trust yeah. that about him, right? I trust Trump. What do I trust? That he's a jackass. Absolutely. Lindsey Graham is supposed to be a stand-up politician who has morals and ethics that he follows. He threw all that out the window with Trump. That means I can no longer trust him. I can't trust what he's saying or doing. 
and and this is the narrative this is the story that is going around the world right so no longer is there absolute truth from anybody there's always some sort of story uh blended in whereas our leaders who used to try to live up to the idea of absolute truth to build us all as people, as human beings, to be better people. It's all out the window in the past four years. Yeah, it's, it's true. The villains are changed. never the villain of their own story, my friend. Well, so. what was it? The, fu- mm. uh, the usual suspect <laughs> where, where, where Kevin Spacey said the greatest trick mm. the devil ever pulled is, you know, making the world believe he didn't exist. Well, there he is right there. That's real. Real hide in plain sight. That's it. Yeah. Um. So, from <laughs> what's your take? <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. What's so, your take, man? Uh, you, it's hard you know, to we, follow. Don't be going to the next question yet, man. Yeah. No, no, yeah. for Sean's. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna cheat. I'm gonna bridge the two questions together and start right. things off. So that's fair. Um, I'll talk about it a specific story which has been uh, a, a negative impact on my life for a long time. So uh, some of you men know that uh, I used to be overweight when I was younger and um, you know, through high school I put on a lot of weight and it was just bad nutrition, no exercise and not having the, the tools or education or support to change that. Right. So there's a certain point you're in high school, you're one of the heaviest kids there at the time. You know, you have a lot of uh, friends which sort of just drop you because now you're the less popular kid. You know, I was very nerdy, so I was into computers and web pages, and it's like the kid you avoided high school for the most part. And, you know, I used to eat uh, an obscene amount of food regularly at night, typically go to bed in pain, wake up the next day and just keep doing this vicious cycle to myself over time that, um, you know, I had, you know, a lot of self-loathing. Like I hated myself, hated my body, hated the way I was being and just through the addiction of food kept doing it and hating and doing and hating. And it wasn't until a health scare at the age of 21 where I Still don't know what happened, but I was at Emerge because my heart was all whack and I was just really messed up. And they gave me the old, you know, lose weight exercise. And being 21 and saying, if I keep going this way, you know, the story that I'm running with, I'm probably going to die in my 20s. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's what came out because I'm like, okay, I, I know I knew this wasn't good for me, but I kept doing it. And that scare was just like, well, you know, if I don't change this story now, I'm not going to have much of a story. So I took that to heart and, you know, I lost weight. The first time was 85 pounds. I've been up and down since there's been a lot of positive things and progress and fitness, caring about nutrition, learning a lot about fitness and nutrition, you know, and the thing is that story though has been with me for so long and it's still there. It's not, doesn't have the power it used to, but you know, that story I built as a teenager and that hatred and loathing and just not caring about myself, it's a tough thing to let go of. It like weaved in at a critical point in my growth that was just like, it's in the roots. 
And, you know, what I've had to come to accept more and more is that, you know, sometimes we have dark parts of our stories, like, uh, you know, what is it? Uh, the Empire Strikes Back when Luke goes into the dark, uh, you know, the dark cave. The cave. Yeah. The dark side of the horse, right? To fight Vader, which is himself. And it's that twist of just like, you're always kind of fighting yourself. And, you know, the idea that I could ever get rid of this story or just make it positive or there's a happy outcome, I think at this point isn't the point as much as just like um, mythology where you have a story taught from an elder to tell you this is why you shouldn't do this and keep telling that story as a reminder is I can just use this story as a reflection to keep looking at when I start going too far off the rails to say, I, I already know this story. I've, I've been through this story. I know the outcome and I know the potential end if I keep listening to it. Mm-hmm. So as best as possible, I've been able to deal with it a lot better and I don't binge eat the way I used to. I don't go to sweets the way I used to. And, you know, I, I think um, as Dotson was mentioning, it's the struggle or the challenge, right? To keep wanting to change these stories and make them better and be better for it and it's definitely something that's still challenging me but i'm at a point where it's no longer controlling me the way it was and it's just interesting that how insidious these things can be that over time you know you you think you're through it and you think you've changed and then something comes up the situation in life and it's very easy of any kind of addiction and mine was food in particular in this case but you know, you can just start slipping back and then you lose some of the momentum of the, you know, the, the direction your story was going. And you have to start to look at this, you know, more regularly and remind yourself, right? So, um, you know, the there's been more recent health issues than that, which again is the same kind of like impact of like, okay, I can ignore these things but I'm getting older. So the more easily I ignore these things, my story is going to end a lot soon. Right. And by being able to be a little more responsible and respect the fact that if uh, these things are ignored, the, the story ends too soon. That's stuff that I've you know been focusing a lot, particularly in the, the era of COVID right now, you know, the isolation, not being able to go anywhere, not being able to see family and friends the same way. And uh, initially, my wife and I taking it very seriously, not even going to parks and just respecting social distancing. And that takes a toll. And you have to, you know, find ways to tell yourself and how you're going to be able to still do the things. And, you know, what we're going through still pales in comparison to what many people have gone through over the years and in history that it's just there's so much bombardment of all these other things, consumerism, the expectation of the economy keeping your job, keeping your payments going or else. And, you know, something like COVID on top of that just adds a layer. And then when you try and be safe, you have the people, like you're mentioning Cornell, they're in denial, they're not wearing masks, and they're, you know, potentially harming you or a family member of you by not, you know, taking care of themselves. And it's, yeah, definitely, definitely a struggle at times. So, you know, um, the stories I'm running with, how they're helping or hindering me is that uh, reflecting on them more often, 
and trying to continue to take the lessons from the ones that didn't help me. Not mm-hmm. to cast them aside, not to forget them, absolutely, but to actually use them so that they can help keep me moving in a better direction. Well, the idea is to keep your hands on the steering wheel, right? If you uh, let go of the steering wheel, the car is just going to go wherever it's going to go. And, and that's yes. where outside influences control where the car is going to go, meaning what people are saying about you becomes your truth. If you allow them to say whatever stories and allow those stories to affect you, that's going to become your truth. That's going to become your story, not me. So you got to keep your hands on the steering wheel at all times. It's hard. Uh, During COVID, I I, I slipped. I was out of the gym for two months and I was like, you know, I lost weight and put on weight in the wrong areas of the body. (laughs) So I went back and, uh, you know, clear mind, clear, uh, clean body and, and, and clean spirit. All that comes as a, uh, uh, out of self-motivation to get back down there, get back into the gym and, 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 and uh, take care of yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, other people's narrative is going to become your story. Got to keep your hands on the steering wheel. Yeah. And just before I pass it off uh, to the next speaker, how it helps or hinder again is that in the Trumpism that you mentioned, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of being able to keep what is true or not, uh, focusing your attention, right? Because you can keep focusing your attention on too many things, or you can focus on the things that are leading you, you know, the narratives that are working is help or hinder, right? And, um, you know, I haven't even been following news all that much but you know they get pieces here and there and you know uh recently with uh, my cat's health acting up and stuff like that i just went on like not paying attention to a damn thing just dealing with work dealing with the cat dealing with my missus and the family nothing else for the moment nothing else matters just boom it's gone out Mm -hmm. and um it not only is effective in making sure i'm being responsible and taking care of my cat to the best uh, we can condition but um it'd be happy to know cornell i was productive on some business stuff that i'm doing on the side to actually propel myself this week even while busy work even while dealing with my cat and things just by not focusing on things that really have no bearing or right to me and it's so the hindrance is sometimes just giving attention to other people's stories or stories going on and it's shutting it off so that i can keep focusing on my story because that's going to do what it's going to do. And it's whether I'm there, whether I'm paying attention, it's going to keep going on. So Absolutely. But uh, Mr. Baum, we'd love to hear from you again on you know, how the, the stories and now that your story is changing, you know, what was hindering you with your story and the way it was going that now you've decided to pivot and kind of look at things with a new perspective. But before I answer that question, um, could I ask Mr. Anderson, does he teach his son to get up and give up his seat on the bus? <laughs> so this is, this is interesting. I, I grew up turn the other cheek. Uh, I, don't, I don't turn the other cheek anymore. I'm not a turn the other cheek kind of guy. Um, and, you know, so what I teach my son is to be a kind person, 
uh, don't use nice as a as a as a you know place to hide. You know, not not willing to tell someone the truth or um, do what's loving, but you know, just oh, just be nice, tell people what they want to hear, and all that kind of stuff. So no, I don't teach my son to to uh, give his seat up in life, but we open doors. We if if there's a woman who comes onto the bus or public transport or whatever, get up, give my seat. It's not a literal thing. It's, um, it's a self-love, self-worth thing. Um, and so I teach my son that he has a place in the world. My son, he's 12, he already knows he can be an entrepreneur. He already knows he can uh, make his way in the world, um, that he has a voice. His opinion matters, even with me. You know, I'm his father, I'm responsible for him. But if I'm doing something that threatens him or puts him in danger, he's not just to sit there and let himself be victimized. Um, and then the flip side of that is, with this power comes responsibility. You have influence, you have power, you have to have purpose, you have to have kindness, you have to have love and compassion. Um, otherwise you end up being a monster. And so, um, yeah, we, we give our seats up um, as a gesture for respect, you know, honoring women, um, but we don't, I don't teach him to uh, play small or to devalue himself so that someone else feels better. And that's what, that's what giving my seat up represents to me now. Before I just used to fight with everybody. It was all about respect and Mr. Bond, this is probably more towards your question. Uh, it, was, it was my issue that if you disrespected me, guarantee I was gonna go off on some rant or try to get my respect back. And as a professional athlete, that was used against me. People knew that if they acted a certain way, said certain things, uh, I would focus on that instead of performance. So it actually became something that worked against me while I'm grasping I didn't feel secure enough in myself and I'm grasping for respect or recognition, you know, instead of just being settled in myself and staying focused on the prize and letting my performance speak for itself. So that's uh, giving up the seat. I'm not going to shrink for anybody I have in life, but I'm not going to shrink so someone else feels better. Uh, COVID has given me a great opportunity to get real, you know, get back in touch with that because I see the greatness in you too. So why are you, you know, you don't have to fulfill your potential, but you can. And I'm not gonna demonstrate to you how to play small unless I'll play small. No, I'm gonna fulfill my potential no matter how many pot shots you take at me. And if you ever get tired of swinging at me and wanna step into your potential yourself, cool, let's play together. Let's play. So that's, that's what the commitment that I'm getting out of COVID and all the things that are happening in my life right now. It's like, okay, well, and this, I was doing a coaching call yesterday. I know I'm talking a lot, but I'm doing a coaching call yesterday. And it's like, it used to be, we depended on one or two people to play big, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. We depended on one person to step up and, and save us all. Obama. And that's not the real, it's not the real, yeah, Obama. We depended on this one person. And now if you look at society, 
we are realizing it's not the one superhuman who's going to lead the way. It's all of us. We all need to step up and just be the big we are. And it's not, we're not looking at one person's going to, no, it's me. It's you. Step up. Be yourself. Be your, it's not even big. It's just be yourself. Stop shrinking and, and trying to shrink everybody around you so you feel good about yourself. Step up. Be who you are. Contribute what you have to contribute and, and, and love that. And if we do that, then this world's a better place. And, and that's what people are saying right now. They're like, nope, I'm not taking this. I won't allow this to happen. I'm not waiting for somebody to change it. I'm changing it. No more of this. So that's where I think we are, man. It's a serious paradigm shift that I'm excited about. And I don't want any, nobody to give up their seat. You give your seat up if you want to be kind, but don't give your space in the world away. That's, let's stop that. That's ridiculous. Stop doing it. It doesn't serve anybody to give your place away. Your place is your place. You can tell I'm passionate about this. This is, <laughs> this is real. This is real. You should let it out, man. Don't, 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 don't uh, bottle it up there, uh, buddy. No more, my brother. No more. <laughs> so, so the answer to the question I asked you 10 minutes ago is, is yes, with context. <laughs> with context. Yes, with with kindness, respect, yeah. But what, context. Seat means nothing. Context. With context. Yeah, con with context. With context. Truth quickly. Yes, sir. Mr. Yeah. Bob. Okay. We give up our seats in the right context. With Never context. give your place up in the world, though. See, <laughs> Nobody else can be you. Don't give it away. <laughs> now, before I answer your question, Homer, I have a question for, uh, for Cornell. Um, you were, you're talking about holding on to the steering wheel. Um, yeah. Because you're on this road, which is full of potholes and hazards. At what point do you stop the car and fix the road? Fix instead the road? Of holding on to, instead of holding on to that steering wheel and try to navigate. See, Dr. Baum, he brings this. See? You see yeah, well, you see, I've noticed that, that he's, he's not, a, he's not a, 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 a medical doctor. He's a mic dropper. So he's, he's, he's right. <laughs> that could dropper. be a slogan. Yeah. Yeah. Answer the that. question, though. <laughs> it's, it's a question, though. Yeah. Um, answer the question. Okay. So this is why I love it when this man comes on and he makes you think. So, really and truly, what I have found my in my past, as far as my story, the way it's gone is um, uh, not necessarily stopping and fixing the road. It's more like paving your own. So I did stop and start paving uh, a new path, a new road for others to go down. And that was while I was doing uh, radio. Um, for a long time, there wasn't a, a well, you know, even that in itself, the term that they used to use, urban radio, um, there was there was never a radio station that kind of uh, fulfilled uh, the niche that I was in, which was, you know, uh, hip hop, R&B, house music, Calypso, Soca, all the music from uh, my culture um, didn't exist. And, and before that was the only way that we could get our stuff out was college radio. And I found myself quickly with my own college radio show for seven years. And then from there, uh, moved into mainstream doing commercials and live shows and so forth. Through these events, it became a little bit more popularized. And, and you know, lo and behold, uh, Milestone 
media came around and they got their first station, which was Flow 93.5. And a lot of the folks from the scene, I remember, and this is where I can give you the story of how uh, the road was paved with what I did. Uh, There's two stories, short. Uh, One was, I was at a... Carabana time is a, is a huge time for my culture being from Trinidad. So uh, my family runs a, a boat cruise. My family's one of the uh, leading families for Carabana, the Saldina family. And uh, they ran a boat cruise. And the biggest DJ in the city at the time was uh, starting from scratch. And he's there with uh, uh, a guy who was on Flow 93.5 and was kind of feeling himself a little too much. So when I got on to the cruise, um, I was waiting to speak to starting from scratch. He's a friend of mine for many, many years. His name's Mark. So I was waiting for him. And this little upstart who's uh, on flow 93.5 was looking at me funny, you know, kind of like, why is this old guy standing here? you know, he, he knows nothing about what's going on in here. And Mark looks over, moves his headphone, looks over, he sees me and he's like, holy shit, you know, just hang on one second. We'll go and go grab a drink and all this kind of stuff. And when the little kid asks, you know, who, who, who is this guy? And he says, this guy paved the way for you to be able to have your radio show. He's one of the guys, because uh, on college radio, the fact that you can go and take on a Q107 and all these types of stuff. When you take that on and you have more listeners than them in your time slot, that's, that's a big deal. And that's the way uh, that show went. And then more recently, like I told you guys before about stepping away from the game and then recently coming back, I was on a lot of the DJs now are playing on Twitch or, or on, on Instagram, but mostly Twitch to make money because you know the poor fellas there's nothing else that they got going for them right now so they're performing still and i had jumped on one of them and there's a lot of chat and i said uh, i said hello but i guess uh whoever it was uh, at the time they didn't see that my name was on there or didn't realize who i was so they were shouting out everybody and whatever and then this one guy saw my name and he's like Holy shit, fellas, we have royalty in the building. We have one of the originals, one of the OGs. Um, and he really brought my name to light. And when other people realized who it was, that's when certain things came out. So those were big events in my life, I guess, that reminded me that, uh, you know, yeah, every once in a while you do have to stop the car, but it's not necessarily to fix other people's mistakes. It's to pave my own way. That's it. <laughs> Is that Omar, what was the original question? When do you stop the car and fix the potholes? I don't fix the potholes. I'm paying you for <laughs> To be fair, Bomb, uh, any questions you add are always welcome. Uh, okay. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you're not a medical doctor. You're a mic dropper. That's, That's it. <laughs> Yeah. You are a medical doctor. I will never discredit you, Dr. Lamb. Um, <laughs> the the question was, are these stories helping or hindering your progress? And again, as you had brought up, that 
you're starting to change your story uh, from what it was because you recognized it might not be working for you. Yeah, it wasn't working for me because the story I was told uh, was that um, I am second generation um, in Canada and that um, it wasn't my fault that uh, blacks were being treated as garbage, that people of color were not respected in our society. Um, my parents came from Poland. They came to Canada. Neither of them had seen an indigenous person or a black person or a person of color in their entire lives. And if there was a problem with uh, uh, Anderson's family and Cornell's family who came from Trinidad, it wasn't my fault because mm -hmm. I had moved into this house. Um, this house um, has leaks in the ceiling, but I didn't create this house and therefore it wasn't my responsibility mm -hmm. and i went through this uh um illusion of uh, white man jewish man's privilege and it didn't bother me because it wasn't my fault uh, it wasn't my doing and with all the unrest that's happening now in the states and in canada uh, with Black Lives Matter, uh, it's become increasingly clear to me that uh, I have been a recipient of, of all the advantages with this built-in systemic racism that, that exists in our culture. Mm -hmm. And I've come to the point where I can no longer uh, ignore the potholes. I can no longer ignore the leak in the ceiling. Um, any attempt for me to try to do a patchwork job to fix that leak is unethical. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I can pat myself on the back and say I'm not a racist, but I haven't behaved as an anti-racist. Mm. And that's, okay. the that's the story that's changing in my life. I I've just read a book um, by Isabel Wilkerson called Cast. And what this woman has done is she's taken a look at the history of the United States of America over the last 250 years and basically says, this is a system that's being built on slavery. And the yeah. racism, the racism in the United States and by definition in Canada is built on colonialism and the whole system is based on the process that whites are inherently above it all and we've done this on the backs of, uh, of slaves that were brought to this, uh, to this continent in uh, 1619. And uh, th there's no getting away from that. And she goes on and tries to extrapolate and shows that this is the same system that was inherent uh, in the caste system in India mm -hmm. with the whole yeah. generation of untouchables, the Dalits, who have been totally subhuman. Mm -hmm. And then she extrapolates and talks about what happened to the Jews in the Third Reich. And that's when it hit me smack in the, smack in the face that uh, mm -hmm. uh, what was happening in Germany is exactly what's happened in this country over the last 250 years. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the metaphor that she, yeah, the metaphor that she creates is the metaphor of this old house, which I inhabit now, and it's got like a, a water spot in the roof. And I can mm -hmm. do all sorts of things like uh, fixing that patch and try to make it better 
but the bottom line is there's something wrong with the foundation. And I I basically had to take a lot of soul searching and said, like, do you tear down the house and start fresh, which are, uh, um, we're seeing people who are like the anti-fascist, the Antifa group is basically saying, let's tear down the entire system and start new. Or do we try to kind of do the hard work and try and try to fix the potholes, try to fix that foundation, uh, basically come face to face with the realization that there is inherent racism in this society? And how the fuck do you fix that? Especially for a Jewish white male who's brought up with a system that I'm a member of the chosen people. And mm. being a member of the chosen people, especially since I've gone through the history of the Holocaust, I have a get out of jail free card, you know, like I'm entitled, you know, all these terrible things that happened to me, I can just kind of walk away from it. It's not my problem, but I've come to this point in my life where it is my problem and you have to do the hard work. And the hard work is basically getting together with people and acknowledge where they're coming from, validate what's happened to them and find that common ground, the, the, that point where I can sit down and be empathetic and organic and real. And that's where my story has changed. So uh, if I might ask, you say that, you know, which is true, you know, you, you can safely say you're not a racist, but you say you're not behaving as an anti-racist. What, it, what does that mean? How, how do you behave anti-racist? Um, well, with the analogy you see on TV all the time where uh, someone comes up and says Black Lives Matter, uh, in the past, I would say all lives matter. Right. Mm-hmm. And? Which, and that is not anti-racist. That's right. behaving not as a racist, but it's not anti-racist. Right. To acknowledge that Black Lives Matter, that's the core of the problem, the core of the answer, the core of the things. So how do we... In, 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 in continuing on with the analogy of the potholes, uh, do we pave a new path or do we fix the potholes? I think you fix the potholes by acknowledging the fact that there are potholes in the ground. How did they get there? What do we do that? How do we fix that? Because the person who made that pothole saying, eh, just you know, navigate around it, not the pothole. I, I have... Uh, I have historical claim to that pothole. Uh, this this Confederate flag that I'm flying on the state building, that's, that's right. part of my heritage. <laughs> that's my heritage. That's my heritage. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, my heritage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that's right. Well, the yeah. John A. McDonald statue that went down. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 What yeah. he's yeah. done to Canada as starting us off on continuing the colonial, you know. So let's have here. that discussion about John A. McDonald. Uh, yeah. There are people who want to paint that uh, statue red and tear it down. Uh, maybe that's what we do. Maybe that's what we do with Ryerson. Maybe we re- rename that university because uh, Ryerson wasn't a great guy. Um, yeah. But you have to have that discussion. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's about acknowledgement, validation, and empathy. Yeah, so here's where I want to jump in here. This is this discussion. So here you go, man. You think it starts out innocent. Here we go again. <laughs> the, uh, Dr. Baum, thanks for bringing this up and, and being on this call. And... Um, so what you and Cornell, the conversation you're having right now about paving this new road, I never thought about that, Cornell. And fixing the potholes, 
And what you brought up, Dr. Baum, about the, the system in the U.S., I'm from the States. Uh, Dotson's from the States, born in the States. And the vagrancy law that was put in, in, in acts to bring Black men back into jail when they were released from slavery, the police, the enforcement to protect uh, U.S. citizens, was well, not protect everybody, it's protect white people in general, um, you know, to keep that system going. What, what you brought up, Carnell, about paving a new road, uh, and Dr. Baum, your road with the potholes, that road's not broken. Like the systems in the states aren't broken. They're functioning. The police are functioning exactly as they were designed. The debt system is functioning right. exactly as it's designed. Um, you know, politics, everything's functioning the way it's designed to keep things happening the way that they always happen to benefit the people they benefit. That's so why I don't want to paving. Well, and here's the thing, right? The people who are uh, benefiting, they're not taking the road with the potholes. That's right. That, that road is designed to have potholes. It's designed to have debt. <laughs> it's designed, you know, somebody's got to be in debt because uh, it's a debt system. It's, they call it a debt system. Somebody's got to be in debt. Uh, the education, we, somebody's got to serve us. If I want to be served, somebody has to serve me. We can't all be getting served. I mean, it's, the system is functioning exactly as it is. And what we're realizing, I think, as a society now is we can't fix these systems because they're not broken. We need to create new systems that serve us now who we are now. We are not the same people we were 200 years ago, 500 years ago. And Dr. Bond, these systems you're talking about, go back to any society and you will see caste, you will see uh, status and whether it's landowners who had people work their land, uh, you know, regardless of color, color, whether it's the Romans who enslaved people, uh, in Africa Rome. all the way back, yeah, whatever. It's the same. It's the same system to have people serve a few. That's and right. this technology's been—it's just been, you know, um, tailored to fit whatever situation. And we just—we just happen to be experiencing what's going on now. So this whole thing about um, the, the pothole road. Um, what rich, influential, and I'm not talking about your average rich person. I'm talking about someone who's in the back room, who we don't know their name, who's actually influencing the politicians and the way the system runs. What pothole role are they taking? They're not taking, they're not on the same flights that we're on. They're not, you know, they're not going to the same places. They don't travel in the same circles. They're on this pristine, you know, road <laughs> that we never get to we don't even know exists it's on a whole different plane right i also so they're, they're, to what mom is saying though and i take the analogy whereas he's saying he owns the the pothole of, like he's not saying him in particular but the idea of i own that pothole with the confederate flag and so forth i think this road that everybody's on it's always been uh you know whites first. Hence, you have to give up your seat and all this type of stuff were, were the silly laws in the past, the Jim Crow laws in the past, and a black man is three-fifths of a person. And what that means is, is that they're ahead. They're leading. So they are on the same road. We're all on the same road. They're just walking on the path that hasn't, doesn't have any potholes yet. They're creating the potholes along the way to make sure that we never catch up. 
that's what that's the road that I envision that bomb has here is it's one road. But yeah, you know I, I get Trump that. Says America first. He actually means whites first, and coming behind, they create the potholes, the minefield, the difficulties, the challenges that other races have to go through in order to navigate to catch up to where they are. They're the ones. This, I get this. The bro. That's where the potholes uh, are are I, created. That's I what totally I totally get this. I totally get this and I totally agree. And I want to take it a step further because not every place in the world is touched by um, slavery and colonialism. Um, in Africa, there are very, there, there are places in Africa that haven't been touched by colonialism. There are places in Asia that haven't been touched by colonialism. Um, and I didn't know that until I got on a plane and went, and went in, well, in some of these places and realized, oh, they don't have, the black people here don't have my experience. Of, of slavery. I have a slave experience. People have colonial experience. And my slave experience is crazy anyway, because my great-grandfather was a slave owner. My great-grandmother was a slave. Mm -hmm. So talk about stories. So who am I? Am I slave or slave owner? I'm both. That's the reason why my, I'm so screwed up. What part can I deny? Like what part can I deny? You get to choose the story of your life. Hence why Sean's next question was, are you willing to write your future? Yeah, but that's so, just it. So Dr. Baum is, hold on Dr. To Baum is saying, yes, yeah, <laughs> what Dr. Baum is saying is we have to embrace the real truth. That's the pothole. I'm embracing the fact that I'm slave owner and slave. I, as, a, as an American, I have privilege, regardless yeah. of my color. When I take my passport and I travel around the world, there's certain privileges that I have, I have running water, I have electricity. My poverty is not the same poverty as every place in the world. When I recognize my privilege, then I don't hold your privilege against you. Doesn't absolve you of any responsibility. And white people, especially white men, have a certain privilege mm -hmm. around the world. And mm -hmm. what Dr. Baum I was, is saying, I totally agree with and can appreciate. It's a starting place. You have your privilege based on something that was created that you don't even agree with, but you benefit from it. Mm -hmm. Now, how are you going to be active and use that privilege to create a new system Paving that's going to serve everyone? And I think that's where we are as, as a society. We're in a place where everybody has to accept their own crap, own it, and then come together. And what are we going to create now? Because these old systems are functioning just fine. <laughs> and that's the one lie we got to get rid of. These systems yeah. are so, not malfunctioning. I want to transition over to uh, Mr. Dotson on this question. Yeah. So we'll yeah, I we'll come back to this because this uh, leads into number three a lot, right? And yeah. bomb, you kind of brought the two together, but basically, you know, you're, you're trying to rewrite your story for the better, right? Um, but yeah, so Dotson, um, definitely a lot of, lot of topics that came up there, but bringing the thread back to your life and, you know, how your stories are helping or hindering you. you know, what what are some things going on around that with you, sir? Uh, first off, I just want to acknowledge the conversation that just took place, and it's a very powerful one. And um, it needs to continue to be had over and over for generation after generation until we do, uh, until we start loving each other as humanity and not seeing each other differently than that. It's real. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts about that. I'm not going to get into it. And to be quite honest, I, um, I'm not very, I, I although, although my, my belief 
about it is very candid. I'm not very candid when it comes up or outspoken about it um, because I'm, you know, I tend to be very thoughtful to make sure that anything that I try to, that I say that, that it's intention and its purpose when it hasn't, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a sword that's wielding for a specific reason. Um, but to get to, to what you're talking about, or what we're talking about, uh, or to, to answer your question around the stories that the, the biggest story, one of the biggest stories that I have is specifically around a relationship front, because historically I've, I've seen, and you men would agree with this as well, that we've seen relationships in our planet not be successful. And, uh, and for the most part, uh, we don't have a society that supports the success or the efficacy of relationships. In fact, today we have this, uh, this, you know, this me first kind of mentality where mm -hmm. it's all about me, my yep. success, my own, uh, you know, social media helps propagate those ideas. And, um, and, and, but at the, re but at the end of the day, you know, we probably are in one of the societies where people have, have had most issues with mental health and really not understanding how relationships, the quality of them or lack thereof, or the lack thereof actually impacts um, their being and their movement throughout society. And so consequently, uh, you know, over time, it's a lot of backstory to this. I've become more passionate about the success or the efficacy of relationships, all types, but beginning with the supreme one, which is the one that's with yourself and I believe with God and then to your family. But to, to keep it on a, on a natural level uh, with your family, you know, with the one, the people who are close to you, me in my situation with my wife, you know, uh, with my children. And I find that you know, my happiness is, you know, the, the, the level of happiness is, is for me is directly in proportion to how well my relationship is with my wife and my children. And growing up in society, you know, talking about the system, you know, we're taught how to become a worker in our society and how to serve and how to get a job and how to put food on the table in our society. That's what we're taught. And it becomes what leads our life. And it becomes the messages that we hear, you know, work to pay bills or work to buy things or work to go on a vacation or work to do these things. But, and then we try to, you know, and then we have these issues in life that are related to the quality of our relationships, but we continue to try to patch these issues up through money and success and things like that. And what, I, and what I've come to understand is that, uh, or come to believe, is that if we can get our relationships right, you know, the one with ourselves, the one with uh, the people who we, who we care about the most, if we can get those right, um, everything else will take care of itself, right? And, that's a, and I have a philosophy around us that, you know, that, that maybe serves in terms of how we can do that and how can everything take care of itself. But, um, you know, you know, my relationship with my wife has been a, has been an up and down. There's been a, you know, ebbs and flows. And, you know, while I, while I, you know, stand on a mountaintop, so to speak, to preach about um, relationships and how, and how we should, you know, how we should pursue them and, and, and seek to be great and excellent at them more so than we should seek, in my opinion, more so than we should seek to be excellent at anything else in my life, in our life. Like I, I personally believe that. I think the first institution that was created on the planet was the institution of, of, of a relationship between a man and a woman. You know, if you, if you have the belief, you know, the Judeo-Christian type belief system, the very first institution that was created on the planet was, uh, was a family. And um, 
I honestly believe if we can get that right, or if I can get that right, then everything else will fall in place. So with my wife, you know, continuing that relationship, you know, there are thoughts and ways of being that I've grown up with uh, that don't serve me very well in my relationship. And one of those is, is my, the, the idea of entitlement in my own relationship with my own wife and my ideas of uh, what I deserve and um, my expectations. And what I've learned, what I'm learning, I haven't, I'm not completely through this and probably won't be, but uh, I'll, never grab will some, be, brother. Yeah, I'll grab some <laughs> land over time, right? I'll grab land over time. But um, what I feel like that, I feel like God has taught me is that I need to continue to seek to be loving and to continue to seek to be gracious because all of us are in different growth periods or stages of life or different maturation processes throughout life. And it's immature of me if I see someone who hasn't grown to a level and I judge them or cast blame on them or uh, make them feel bad about where they are, and who they are today, mm. instead of being loving, because love is what grows and propels, right? Mm. But um, so consequently, like I said before, is that, you know, that I feel like that's part of my life's purpose is to help people, first of all, get to that realization, understanding that their happiness is, is, is tied to the quality of relationships that matter, you know, their happiness is tied to it. You know, everything else around it is what adds value to it. Like the, the, you know, the things that are physical, you know, the cars, the houses, the vacations, the money, the freedom, whatever it is. Without the quality of relationships, none of those things mean anything or, they, or their value begin to, to decrease significantly. And so my goal is that, you know, to, it's to help change a paradigm, you know, in our generation, in our mindset around how we view relationships and, to, and to, to get that to a place to where people start seeing that, you know, what's more important, success of your relationship with your, with your significant other, your children, et cetera, or your success in your job, you know, and to, and, to, and to change that paradigm. And not saying that you can't have both because you can, because as human beings, you know, uh, Dr. Bond, you talked about being the chosen one, right? Or being the chosen people being called out by God and then, you know, where the Messiah is supposed to come through and, and then the world is supposed to become, you know, the world that God has created it to be for the beginning. Um, you know, we, we are, we have a responsibility, I feel like to ourselves, uh, to, uh, uh, and especially as men, is, is to lead and become, you know, the success and, you know, till the earth and, and, make, and make the earth, you know, replenish the earth and things like that, right? Like that is our calling as men but we're first called to make sure that our family is well taken care of. And there are many aspects around that. But the first thing is the relationship. It's the quality of your relationship. And if you can't get that right, and you may know this, you know, you've probably seen many relationships, you know, all types where they just fell through and how it actually mentally, like the, the mental impact or the, the mental health aspect of how it actually disrupt people significantly so so um what am i doing you know what's hindering my progress are these stories hindering my progress they definitely can and um, i'm working very diligently you know to not take my hand off the steering wheel if i use djkc's uh language you know not to take my hand off the steering wheel but intentionally steer this sucker to become exactly what i wanted to become or steer it in the direction that i wanted to go through because mm -hmm. it's my responsibility
And, you know, my goal by the grace of God is to get to the end of my life and to be able to talk to my father in heaven and be like, look, what you've given me the best, you know, with the mind that I had, the abilities you've given me, I've done the best that I, that I can do. And mm-hmm. when you do the best that you can do, you do get good results. You do, you know, and I want to, I want to be able to have that story at the end of my life. So completely. And what you're talking about, um, quality of relationships versus materialism, right? Um, you know, you you can very easily imagine anyone on their deathbed, right? What what do they have to reflect on? They're not taking anything material with them, you know, and their thoughts are their own as you know they're in their final hours. And what are you left with? Reflecting on your life, reflecting on how you acted, how close you were with people. So. You know, uh, the quality of relationships, I think, is, you know, one of the the most memorable things that we'll ever look back on as the stories come to their ends. And, you know, we, we had topics, uh, I think it was a year ago or a year and a half ago on the topic of wealth. And we got to it, we thought we were going to talk about money. It became nothing to do with money, but it was about quality of living and being yeah. in harmony, as uh, Steve Anderson liked to label it as, you know. So it's interesting just the story of um again you said we're talking about becoming a worker because that's what we're told to be and we go through our life and go through the motions but how well does that serve us at the end of the day if if that becomes the focus of the story well, it has to be a part because you have to live right you have to still provide for family but if that's the focus that's a given. you know, you know. Yeah. i'm sorry i cut you off man no that was it I'm just saying that's a given. Like your 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 responsibility is to like when God created the earth, you know, in my belief system, my worldview, he he you know the first thing, you know, one of the first responsibility he gave to Adam, he said, Listen, you take care of this earth that I gave you. You know, you take care of this garden. God gave him a job. His job was to take care of the garden. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like that's it, that was his responsibility while he was on earth. And then eventually, you know, Eve came into the picture. But here the reality is is that these that that is a given you are supposed to your birthright is to be successful as a human being that is your god-given birthright Hmm. your birthright is wealth that is your birthright it's Hmm. a god it's 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 not a human construct god created that your birthright every human being's birthright is wealth all of our birthright is wealth the problem is, is that when, when, when we as men, as man, when we think that the material things are first in line, that's where we mess it up at. Because the first relationship Adam ever had was with God himself. Because the first thing was with God himself and then to himself. It's the first thing, that's the, that's the very first thing. And if we can get that right, everything, the abundance will come out of the quality of the relationship. That's why, we, that's why you know, you can't ever do anything. That's why I hate when people say, oh, they're self-made individuals. And it's never true. There's not a human on this planet that is ever self-made. I hate the concept when people think about, oh, he's a self-made man. No, he's not. Let it drop him on Mars where, there's, where, where, where no <laughs> atmosphere exists and, and then help him to become self-made. It's impossible for him to become self-made. He needs because the way we're built in in our in, you know in this world in this universe is that we need to be joined with something else in order to create. We can't just create in ourselves. 
like ending of ourself. Like it doesn't begin and end with us. There's always something else we need to be attached to in order for that spark of creativity. Um, whether it's an idea or another person, whatever it is, we need, we need influence in order to create. So I hate that concept. But anyway, that's my soapbox for today, and I'm a complete. So that's I got a question for you, man. So yep. just sticking with sticking with faith here, faith. Um, so man, being uh, leaving the garden, whether it was outcast or felt unworthy or whatever for sin, whatever that is, human beings not being worthy. There's so many religions and philosophies that teach people that we're not worthy. We do it in media and everything else, and this. And, and so we lose that contact with the fact that it is God given for us to be successful and to be, to be wealthy and successful and to be worthy. So with, with you, what do you think about um, like everything that men, what we do to each other, to me looks like trying to, through some external source, through achievement or whatever, prove our worthiness uh, instead of just, realizing that we were born worthy well you're not taught it though none of us i mean who, who's taught like for example the reason why a caste system exists is because people it's it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a uh, in my opinion it's a uh, it's a lack of understanding about who you really are like if you think if there's some some thought process down deep inside of you whether you're aware of it or not that says that in order for you to be good in order for you to be well off in order for you to be your best you got to push somebody else down that thinking right there is crippled yes yeah, it's it. a crippled way of thinking so we're not even taught like through you know we're not like even the way i raised my children to bring it home right i have to be very conscious about how i discipline my kids so that they don't get seeds of thought to think that they are unworthy or that they're bad you know like i hate when people call all oh, your kids you know kids are like we, we do this a lot in the black community we're like oh you got bad kids you know what I mean? Like instead of just calling yeah. them children, you're like all oh, your kids bad. Yeah. And then that idea yeah. begins to, once you start to form, you know, a, a morality system as a, as a child, you know, you start to think in terms of good and bad and bad is, you know, whatever means. And it makes you feel, it doesn't make you feel good. And so when people start calling you bad, now you think that you're bad. And so that becomes part of your self-worth. All right. But if we taught ourselves and we taught our children growing up that your worth doesn't come from even yourself. Your worth doesn't come from you. Your worth comes from God. God thought it was worthy enough to create you. Mm, you must right have there. some type of significance, right? And then mm. he gave you a he gave you billions of galaxies to behold and to look out upon. He could have just created earth in a, in, a, in, a, in a bubble. It could have just been in just a little block and you can't see even outside the earth. But we have things to look upon. I mean, there are millions and millions of types of vegetation. It could have just been one that came, but one flower for all time, one banana tree for all time, you know, one fruit tree for all time. No, your worth, you can, you can look outside yourself and look at the universe and see how worthy you are. Because somebody thought you were good enough to create all this for you to behold. And now you have an opportunity to enjoy it. Yeah, we do the opposite. We compare ourselves to everything outside of ourselves and then feel unworthy, small exactly. and unworthy. Exactly. So I like the way you, you look exactly. at it. Dr. Baum, yeah. I got one for you, Dr. Baum. Because <laughs> uh, I agree with Dodson. Like, we got to get back to everybody's worthy. Every, it's our, like the relationship as human beings. And, but the first, the first thing is relationship with yourself. And Dr. Baum, 
question for you, because I, I have a friend, it's a white male, successful white male, uh, told me that the, 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 the dirty secret for white men is the shame, the guilt and the shame. When, when a black man looks at a white man, that he, knowing the history, like I inherited this because of my great grandfather or whatever, and I'm not the one who did it to you, but I'm the beneficiary. And it's what you brought up, brought up today. But you have a unique story. And do you have any, any, you personally, do you have any guilt and shame associated with what you've inherited? Or is it just responsibility that's giving you this realization uh, because you don't have the history of, uh, it's in your lineage where you directly benefit. Like, where, where are you coming from? Well, I, I had it easy. My uh, parents' family were wiped out in the Holocaust. So that, that, that was my get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I work with people in my hospital. Uh, there's a black nurse whose daughter was killed in a drive-by shooting. Um, it, it breaks my heart. But I had the instant get out of jail card saying, well, I know how you feel because this is what happened to my ancestors. And it's, I've come to a point in my life where that, that doesn't work for me anymore. Uh, is there guilt? Is there shame? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, there, there's an article. Uh, I, I picked up the paper from the, from the I still read newspapers, like <laughs> I have to hold on to something. And there's a, an article, I don't know if it's in the poster in the uh, Globe, but uh, on the front page, a picture of a black woman. Uh, and the article is about what it's like to bring up a child as a black parent in the world today. And that's what I'm gonna be reading when I get off this phone call. Because I never had to worry going to bed whether my son was going to get stopped by a cop in his car because uh, it's more than he should be driving. And Anderson, yeah. your, your kids are going to get stopped. Uh, you're going to be Mom, teaching your you kids. Have to get, we already, we already been there. Yeah. <laughs> we already been there. <laughs> we already I, living I, there. I, yeah. I did not have to go through my life worried when I went to bed, is something going to happen to my child while I'm asleep because of the color of the skin, because of uh, what group he was classified in by race. So the answer to your question is yes. Cool. Alex, yeah, I got a question a great... for you, man. I, I'm sorry, Sean. I'm just like, this is, this is, Go ahead. you don't mind, man. It's very, yeah. Alex, Alex, I got a question for you. And this is, you know, for me, it's a controversial topic, but, and it's never really brought up, but uh, you're, you're a German man and you and Dr. Baum have such a respectful, loving relationship. Uh, and there's this story that people have that, German people are Nazis, which is stupid and ridiculous. German people aren't Nazis. Nazis are Nazis. German people are German people. And some of those people, just like white people in the civil rights, were the people who helped ch change the whole system and break down whatever injustices were happening around the world. Uh, but you as a, you're an attractive, tall, blonde haired, white male, you know, uh, I, I don't know all of your personal stories, so I'm sure there's hardships there, but there's also privilege there. Same question for Dr. Baum. Is there any, uh, you're not a, you weren't born in America, I don't know if you have that, but is there any guilt and shame that shows up for you that prevents you from taking responsibility for the privilege you have, 
that says, I didn't do that? Um, or is there, is there, you know, what's, what goes on for you as a white male, man, with, with the world the way it is today, Black Lives Matters, everybody around the world going crazy. What shows up for you, man, that allows you to be, you're a responsible man. What allows you to be responsible instead of hiding behind shame and guilt? Uh, I'm not going to do anything because I'm a beneficiary and I don't want to, I don't want to mess up my privilege. <laughs> like what, what shows up for you, man? Uh, that's just really interesting question because I was listening to all of you, man. I'm just, um, you know, I think to answer the actual question, be on the track, like I, I've been waiting for my turn. But, um, you know, I learned over the years just kind of a appreciate and respect what I got, like what's been done bef before me. Might be using the same language and analogy you guys created here, like already. Um, just, you know, what the road's been paved and like for me and what's the foundation for the building built for me. Um, and really, I think that this, the second part of it, like learning that just, um, you know, I'm really became not just open-minded, but really patient enough just to, to stop and distance the focus from myself to the other person and just really listen what the story they're living through, right? So because not just my story, being stuck in my story, but truly understand what the fights or battles they're fighting. Because I realize most of the time, we just, we don't allocate the time to understand what other people are dealing with. And just, we're kind of stuck in our own stories. It's like, well, poor me, like I went through this, or my parents went through this. And through traveling the world since I was a kid, like, and just really being in lots of positions, as you mentioned, like, you know, I would walk in the room was like, I don't know whether it's going to be Jews or Russians. And, and, you know, people like, you know, would just treat me differently because they would say, oh, like all the Nazis or like Germans are like, you know, shit, like, you know, and I'm, I've learned to just simply sit back and, and listen to a part of the story, just being open to this and really understand the pain and don't reflect on me, like knowing that unfortunately it's never going to be like, whether it's me or my kids, nobody going to be like, you know, taking respect, not, I don't want to say like responsibilities, but like you just, you have to just take whatever you got and just really understand where people are coming from. And I think it's not going to be the way like where you can control all this stuff. You just think, you know, you got the cards you've been dealt with, like, and you just, you play it and they play it respectfully and just really understand what, um, you know, other people are going through instead of just jumping right away to your own ego and just fight your own like views on this, because it's not going to get us anywhere. It might be similar to Dawson. It's like, yeah, like it would be good if like, all of us would have more compassion for each other and love for each other as a human beings and understanding. But if you there are just going to be fighting your own portion and saying, there is no way you're not right. I'm, I'm like, you know, like I haven't been like in involved in this situation, like, you know, Jews and Germans, like just, and you such an asshole accusing me of this. It's like, it's never going to help. Right. So like, and that's my lesson. And I think that's the story has been shaping my life where it's like, uh, being open to to learn about other people's story and just really understand where they're coming from without taking it personal but really understand like where the the world is and just how i can take it without changing it or adjusting it or you know just just again take take it in and and be part of it and um like really accept what what's been given to me i think i don't know that that's the would be the answer to the question you you asked that makes sense yeah, I mean, it's, you know, what, what this person brought to me was forgiveness. It's like, we hold so much against each other. Like we just hold so much against each other for the past and history. And 
that we deal with it in different ways. We try not to take responsibility. Like I said, I'm American, I have privilege. I'm a male, I have privilege. Um, I've, I've done something to have some influence in the world, I have privilege. And I'm a black man, if I ride down the street, cops get behind me, I'm scared to death. I don't, I don't know, so am I gonna make it home to my family? They're gonna pull me over. It's, you know, it's all these truths exist at the same time. And, and there are all these stories running around. So, you know, I, what Dr. Brown brought to this, this call, taking responsibility and this anti-racism, yeah, it's not enough to not be racist. We have to be, we have to actively create love and actively create the world. The world's not gonna fix itself and the systems aren't broke anyway. Like we stop telling ourselves these lies about the systems are broken and we need, to, the systems are functioning the way they were set up to function. Well, I think it's, really it's, 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 it's healthy responsibility for what, what story you choose to tell yourself, what narrative you're going to choose. Because again, you, you can choose the narrative as like, yeah, like it just like on me right now to fight this battle and just like, you know, just to follow like my, um, my ancestors and just like do whatever been said before me like without thinking or just take responsibility mm -hmm. and think through and just understand how it's actually related to the world today and like how it's related to me and that other person who just telling me this story. I think that's a huge yeah. part. Yeah, cool. Thanks, man. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate that. Yeah. Anderson, your, your white yep. friend, whose forgiveness yep. are you talking about? Self. Self is first. So this is, this is so I'm, I'm going through this myself personally. Uh, in my personal life, I talked about my six-year-old story with my mother. You know, I held it against my mother, us giving our seat up to this, this white lady on the bus. Um, she's the same age as my mother about. And I'm, as a six-year-old kid, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Why are we getting up? Uh, does that mean my mother's not worthy? I'm not worthy? Uh, we're not worthy because we have brown skin? And my mother not fighting. But my, turn, my mother moved to New York when she was 16 years old. She lived there with a man at 16 years old in like 1952. How many times did my mother have to give her seat up on the bus? I'm this six-year-old, making up my six-year-old luggage. Here's a woman, you know, was she protecting me by just making it a non-event? You know, I, I don't have any understanding or empathy in the, as a six-year-old about who this woman was to get to the place where we were in that moment. I'm just coming from my own self. And I've lived this six-year-old story for 50 years about I'm not going to give my, you know, this whole thing. And, and now I'm starting to realize who my mother was and see it in a different way. Like, so now I have to forgive myself for being this six-year-old who has this anger with my mother, not even understanding who this woman is, what her history is or anything else. I have to forgive that version of her that I created in my head. So it, it's just forgiveness and just move forward from there instead of keep reliving this story like I'm not worthy because I gave my seat up one time involuntarily on a bus and now I'm not a worthy human being. How long do I wanna hold on to this, this story? And who am I gonna use this story against? Who am I gonna weaponize this and use it against? How am I gonna use it against you, Dr. Baum? If, I, if you say something to me that I don't like, how am I going to use this six-year-old story to somehow get back at you or think of you in a certain way that keeps us further apart? And that's the problem. I got all these stories. So I don't even know these stories where they came from, but I'm weaponizing them all the time to keep myself safe and protected and important in the world. 
And until I can let go of that, until I can forgive the hurt I've created to other people, the hurt I've created to myself, and just show up my full self like Dotson's talking about. Just show up as love and who am I gonna be now? What stories am I gonna create now instead of living through my past? And I don't even know how these stories got created. There's a six-year-old story, come on. I'm gonna run my life through a six-year-old story that I don't even have any facts, like Homer was saying. I don't even know, I don't even know my mother. 16 years old, she moved to New York, living with a man. Who was this woman? I didn't find this out till she was dead. I don't, yeah, you know, who yeah. was this woman? Yeah, de de default context is a bitch, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it is. 1952, 16 years old, black woman in New York, 16-year-old girl in New York, living with a man. What did this woman have to do to be that person and be safe and, and show up as a 30-year-old that, that gave birth to me and be the nice, sweet, loving woman she was? How many abuses did she have? She was an attractive woman. How many times did she get sexually abused or physically abused? And then show up with love and compassion. She raised 30 kids, other people's kids, to show up with that love and compassion. And here I am, you know, making her wrong for, because we got to move to the back of the bus. 19, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Yeah. It is crazy. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we, we've taken some uh, good twists in this talk, and I very much appreciate everything that's raised. And, you know, the power of stories is, more than evident and we could probably have a second talk about this at some point and go deeper um and the sake of time if we can just have uh you kind of give the small piece to the third question if you haven't touched on it um you know how are you looking to write your story and uh, any closing thoughts just to kind of wrap things up so uh, we'll start off with you cornell and uh, just kind of how you're authoring your story right now and thoughts you take away from uh, today's chat. You're on mute, you're on mute, DJ Casey. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I guess, uh, are you willing to write your own future? Uh, yes, I am. Um, and and uh, I feel that uh, over the past few years, I, I think, quite frankly, again, it's, it's going back to these books and stuff like that. These books helped me to uh, reflect and uh, write my own future. And thankfully, I've, I've got some, you know, you are who you surround yourself with. And, and, and there are some um, really strong, uh, determined uh, people around me, thankfully, um, that have their own mind, don't follow the masses and, and create their own paths. And that keeps me uh, with my hands firmly on the steering wheel trying to uh, write uh, uh, my own future, my own story. Uh, I try to influence my friends, as Sean already is, is well aware, try to influence him a little bit and uh, a few others that are really, really close to me. I, I like to influence as best as I can, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I am willing to, and, and I want to be active in uh, writing my own future and not allowing everything that's happening in society to write it for me. Uh, my takeaways from this is the fact that I've given Dr. Baum a couple other letters to put behind his name. Um, <laughs> an MD, 
and he can put MD down twice now. Um, the other takeaway is um, the, the notion that um, I, I like the idea of the road that we're all on and, and, and I'm keeping that. And one takeaway I had for, for, for Steve was uh, when he was talking about his section I think he needs to keep selling the story of Spider-Man to Casey because you were saying with this power comes responsibility. Mm -hmm. Power you monster, which is Venom. So yeah. I think the Spider-Man story works really well with what you're trying to, what you're trying to accomplish there. Um, but yeah, my, my biggest takeaways is, is, is the road and the potholes and the new paths and the, uh, uh, behaving in an anti-racist manner. That was a, a big line mm -hmm. to listen to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think Dr. Baum, once again, you've affected my life for years to come. And uh, thank you. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Uh, go back to you, Mr. Anderson. Uh, any uh, comments on how you're authoring your story for your future and takeaways? Yeah, well, first, I just want to say I appreciate you, man, so much, like, bringing this honest, real, like, real conversation. Um, and, yeah, you can see, I didn't even know this lived inside of me like it does uh, to this moment, so thank you. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a choice, man. Like, the whole world is um, recognizing that the story needs to be re rewritten, and, uh you know, make America great again, the good old days, the South shall rise again. You know, all these stories that are trying to go back to the past, they're just, they're just not being accepted. They're just not being accepted anymore. Nobody wants to go back to the good old days. <laughs> they weren't that good for everybody, you know? Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't really have a choice. I have responsibilities because I have influence and power and everybody, you know, like Dawson pointed out, you have influence and power in your relationships and it's all of our responsibility to be our best selves. And, um, you know, I can't hide from that anymore. I've been hiding from it, trying to live my little life, but can't hide, man. So yeah, rewriting my story or, or writing the story that, it's not even rewriting the story. It's living the story that I was put here to live. It's not about creating something new. It's just realizing my story and living it instead of, uh, like Casey said, pretending to be somebody I'm not, because I think that's better than my story. <laughs> you know? So I'm trying to pretend I'm somebody instead of just being me, you know? So yeah, definitely. All right. Thank you, brother. Uh, Mr. Bergantz, how are you writing your story and final thoughts for today? Um, I really just realizing how powerful again the stories are. Um, I think there are lots of modes I made for myself. I think the key is just like really recognize the story and um, yeah, like I like terminology with Dr. Baum put on us again, like it's just like the house foundation and the road. So like I'm definitely got me thinking just um like go go from this conversation to look at uh 
what what the road I'm I'm driving and just uh, where I'm taking responsibilities and where I'm not. And uh, yeah, like I think that's that's what I'm gonna take away from this. Complete. Right, thank you, man. Uh, Mr. Dotson, any yeah, ideas so on he, how you're writing your story? And uh, no, I, every day, I think every day, you know, I have the responsibility to be intentional about writing my story. Otherwise, I have subjected myself to the law of entropy or the second law of thermodynamics, right? Everything's going to tend toward decay anyway. Everything's going to decay, but it, it become chaotic unless I intentionally influence the outcome. And that's what writing the story means to me, you know? So it's, it's, it's a conscious decision to not be lazy, right? To continue to try to expand my mind and my being so that I can become um, who I was created to be, you know, before I was sent to this earth. So complete. Thank you, man. Uh, Dr. Bond, thoughts on rewriting yeah, was, your story or continuing to write yeah, it? Well, I, yeah, I was just listening to Dotson's use of the word chaos, and uh, it appears to me that's how uh, the president runs the world or tries to run the world by just creating chaos all around him. Mm. Um, I, I take a look at my old story, and what I realize is that all that does by living this old story is it takes away the possibility of me living my best life. So taking, taking all these stories and putting them all aside, it, it comes down to who you are as a man. And, uh, you know, we use the word terms. And, you know, one of my terms is that I'm a man who uh, honors his word. So um, Casey's reference to uh, um, the four agreements, you know, being impeccable with the word, it, it just strikes home how important it is to be honest with yourself and with your word and to have integrity. Um, Another one of my uh, terms is uh, I'm a man who supports my family. And the discussion that Anderson had about uh, um, teaching his son that it's okay to get up from his seat to give it to a pregnant woman uh, without compromising who he is as a man struck home with me. And finally, um, I'm a man who loves his life and to live a life full of privilege and full of expectation just, just doesn't make any sense. Uh, my purpose is to live life to its fullest, to bear witness and to be able to accept that uh, the river I step into today is not the river I stepped into yesterday. To, to be willing and able to change with the times, to be able to grow. Because without growth, we're stagnant. And if we're stagnant, we die. Complete. Mm. Dr. You. Mike Drop, that's an MD, Casey. Dr. Mike Drop. <laughs> you got it. Something, as, excuse me, as something I was reading recently about, um, you know, we have to stop treating people changing their minds as a failure and celebrate it as a success because you know stories are forced on us as children the nature versus nurture and there's always going to be a large percentage of how we come out in this world and how we look at things based on the stories we were told you know so how we treat others you know who we grew up around right um 
you know, I'm very fortunate that I grew up multicultural being in Canada and I was exposed to different cultures and friends who were not white throughout my whole childhood, which made a difference had I been somewhere else and not been exposed to that. And, you know, getting older, you know, where I come to terms with being Canadian and the privilege over natives in Canada and how poorly and continually the, you know, the racism and the systems still working as they are designed to function that treat them like below human, right. And not celebrating them and respecting them and the knowledge they still have and just the atrocities that we've done to them as Canada. You know, there's the nice image, the story of Canada being the nice people. And in a lot of ways, we're just as bad or worse in the States in some ways. And it's being able to look at that and recognize and be responsible for, yes, I'm not the person, the exact person who might have done that or hurt them, but I can talk about it. I can make it aware and make others aware that it's not something we can perpetuate. So this is where... Uh, as I'm saying that, you know, people change in their minds and being enlightened to help others to love, you know, to be able to reduce suffering in the world should always be celebrated and not looked at as, well, you were like this and now you've changed and, uh, you know, people to put you aside or cast you aside. Right. Um, so I think that's something that I just wanted to kind of tie into what I'm looking like in writing my story is that being more accepting of change that in any way can help others is more important. And where that comes to point is, as some of you know, I've been uh, slowly, painfully over many years trying to be a writer and I will get there. Uh, (laughs) But as a white heterosexual man in this day and age, I've held that against myself because who the fuck wants to listen to another white heterosexual man? But that's a story, again, that I told myself that I have nothing to give, nothing to give in being able to help elevate other stories. And that's something that I'll be able to address once I actually put pen to paper again. But uh, yeah, my final takeaway is, you know, this this brought up some very uh, powerful conversation and I'm very happy we're able to dig into it. And yeah, definitely the metaphor of the road, the house, and that sort of concept. I mean, you know, and uh, as Dotson mentioned, you know, we're here to tend the garden. I'm, I'm atheist, so I'm not religious, but, you know, look at the earth, right? Like, that's our garden. That's what we have to take care of. And that's where, you know, the indigenous got it right is like, you have to respect this or it's going to backfire. And when COVID first started, you saw how the earth sort of, prepared itself when we just step away for a couple months the animals come out in volume and you know there's a lot of changes that happen when we just take a break and give the world as a whole a break and you know for the cost of what it's given us to see that you know i'm hoping that the stories of the oil industry and things like that can start to be diminished because we only got one planet the road we're taking the path we're taking it's shared so those potholes, you know, they get added. Well, we're putting a crater in front of the entire human race if we keep things the way they are. And the only way that's going to stop is if we all, enough of us, get on board with the message and shared interest to say, 
yeah, we're going to stop that from happening so we don't walk off the cliff and all tumble. So that's where I'll leave things with uh, my own yeah. little mic drop. Um, uh, Sam, that's, you, that's not a mic drop. <laughs> it is not a mic drop. <laughs> Sam, when you talked about the guilt, it's the guilt and shame that keeps us from being responsible. Like if you punish yourself with enough guilt and shame, then you don't have to take on the responsibility of changing anything. Yes. So that, I don't, I don't want to skip over what you said, man, because that was powerful. Like that, that guilt and shame, who wants to hear another one? I want to hear, I want to hear white men tell the truth about themselves. Like, What's going on for you? <laughs> I want to hear that story because I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And, and I think that's the, the starting place for getting rid of the guilt and shame, the truth, getting rid of the guilt and shame and not me using it against you. Okay, because I got my truth too. Okay, now where can we move from here? Now that we've been honest with each other, how are we going to move forward? And I'm not going to keep bringing up the past, using it against you. You're not absolved from it. You got to forgive yourself. You know what I mean? I got to forgive you. You got to forgive me. Let's move. Before we can go anywhere, we got to deal with the truth. And uh, otherwise, we're just going to keep hiding behind the shame and guilt. And I don't need to take responsibility. I punish myself. So yep. it's done. Right? Get my push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. So, so, gents, the next conversation, the next talk that we're going to have is called The Robotic Future. It's how to stay relevant. Um, because we all know way back when, when we came up with these topics, we were starting to talk about, we we're starting to explore all the things that were emerging at the beginning of this year before COVID, clearly. Um, and the notion of automation and so forth started to come about. Um, so uh, the, the robotic future, how to stay relevant, that conversation is going to go down on October the 3rd, which is, is uh, the first Saturday in October. Um, and we just want to make sure that we throw it out there for... Uh, all of our uh, regular uh, gentlemen that uh, pop in and we'll throw that into the uh, chat group as well. Sean. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for your time, everyone. And for the conversation. Very much chatting with you all. Yeah. yeah great, great conversation. Awesome. Also just to, just to bring in, bring up uh, the subject of if you men, especially speakers, if you have some good ideas for, for the next topic speaker, or like you know someone who is relevant to the subject please let us know that would be awesome solid yes.